delegating. You know, I just went to Crete. I do. That's what I've been off for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's full of, it's full of history. It's a really cool place to go. So I had this like civilization called like the Minoan civilization. It was like, mm-hmm. named after like King Minos. So I think it's like a legendary, like mythical king, but it's named after him. But it goes back to like 2000 BC. Sounds like China old. That's like crazy that is old. old. <laughs> uh, so you know the Minotaur? Yeah. So that's like named after like King Minos. Right. And apparently it dwelt in like a place called like Knossos, which you yeah. can like go to. Like there's like ruins. Did of you it. go there? I did go to Knossos. It was very cool. Did you see the Minotaur? Uh, no, unfortunately not. I did see like <laughs> some labyrinths beneath. It looks like excavating like the. No, it's not really labyrinths. I think that's where like the family lived, but it looks like labyrinths because it's underground. Anyway, so like the Minotaur is named after him, and apparently, according to legend, it is like the like offspring of like his wife and like a white bull that was sent. Oh, so, great. Yeah. So, like, got a little bit of Greek mythology. There you go. That's my. <laughs> oh, that is lovely, isn't it? Those are my facts. <laughs> so, how was the rest of Crete? Yeah, it's brilliant. Like, uh, I dragged Charlotte to a lot of like, historical sites. There's always like World War II stuff there because obviously Battle of Crete, amazing. I did, like, actually, we went hiking. So, we managed to do hiking and history in one go. So, like, I hiked the route. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, something gorge. I basically hiked the route that the Allies like walked like uh, during like the evacuation of Crete. Nice. Like and also like I kind of feel like I kind of feel like I had exactly the same experience with them because I went to like this uh, <laughs> I went to this like <laughs> war museum beforehand. Like, it's like little like tiny independently run like war museum by this like this guy who's like who was like alive during like the Battle of Crete and his sister died. So he went around and collected like loads of like weapons yeah. and stuff, like bits from the battle, and like displays them in his house. And now it's like run by his son and like his like his son's like grandkids. So the kid, like the guys that showed me around, like he's this like really cool, like really friendly, like Greek guy, and uh, he couldn't really speak like much English. But like basically, it was like eleven o'clock in the morning. We went there really early, and he was like giving me like shots of Reiki, like which is basically just like <laughs> really strong alcohol to do. Like, I didn't really drink it. It was really early in the morning. So he gave it to me. I just did the first shot really quickly. And then he turned around when I could with another one. He's going to do it with me. And I was like, oh, sorry. I'd already done it. So he bought me, like, another one. Like, a really big one. That I had to, like, do, like, two. So like, I was like... And he, I did, like, more... I was really fucked by the time I left there. And then I had to walk <laughs> down this really long gorge in, like, 30 degrees heat. Like... It was really fun, but I felt like shit afterwards. Like by the end of it, and I was just like, "This is exactly what they felt like." Exactly what they felt like. Yeah, they were really drunk. <laughs> I, I'm just well, joking. I'm glad I'm being you had a good time. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's great. And if you're unaware, you're listening to Have You Ever Heard of? <laughs> That's Dan, and I'm Katie, and we've been off for two weeks because Dan was in Crete, and so we have come back to do Spooky Month. Because this month is Halloween, we decided we'd theme it. And this, well, yeah, this month is spooky. Yeah. I guess, which is quite broad. We can do all sorts with spooky. The witching month or something. Something? (laughs) I don't know. Sounds about right. So mine is like a true crime. Yay! Yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite long because there's a lot going on here, but... 
I'll try and keep it as snappy as possible without ruining the story. So maybe you've heard of this person because you're into true crime, but it's not like a well-known one. It's Mm -hmm. like well-known in some parts of the world. But have you ever heard of Sharon Kin? No. Okay. I think you'll like it. It's quite twisty-turny. So those of you that like true crime, you are in for a treat. So uh, Sharon Kin was born Sharon Elizabeth Hall on the 30th of November 1939 in Independence, Missouri. Her parents were Eugene and Doris. When she was in junior high, they moved to Washington State, but then they moved back to Missouri when she was 15. And then at the age of 16, which is in 1956, she met a 22-year-old college student named James Kin at a church function. And they dated, on and off, And then he went back to his university, which is Brigham Young University. Never trust a churchy. (laughs) Yeah. You already know it's true crime, (laughs) so you're already like on edge. (laughs) So Hall, she actually wrote a letter to James telling him that she was pregnant by him. Oh. So he took leave from university, moved back to Independence, and they were married on the 18th of October, 1956. She was actually falsely identified on the marriage license as being 18 and a widow for some reason is that just like a little fact you put in there to like make them believe her or something i have no idea i mean i've got to be 18 like my other husband's already <laughs> I'm dead a widow. did you not know <laughs> she told people in independence where she was that when she lived in washington she had had a husband who died in a car accident but like later on in her life, she would just refuse to like talk about this. Okay. So the new couple held like a second, more formal wedding the next year in Salt Lake Temple, basically after Kin had completed the process of joining the Church of the Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints, which is you know like you have to kind of like officially convert. To yeah, yeah. But this one isn't actually isn't actually churchy. So that's pretty much as much church as you're going to (laughs) get. So after the wedding, the couple then moved to Utah and James resumed his studies, but put them on hold again at the end of the fall semester. So what what level of um, qualification is he going for here? He was at university, American college is like a four-year college. So yeah, something... I don't know, something I guess sciencey because he ended up being an engineer. So okay. they moved moved back to independence and they both got jobs. She babysat and had shop jobs and he worked as an electrical engineer. Although Kin claimed to have miscarried the child, she was soon pregnant again with this time I guess a real child. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Alarm bells ringing. No no evidence to support this, but usually in true crime when you get, oh, I'm pregnant, it's because they want to secure that yeah. relationship. So we, so we have a fake dead husband and a fake dead fetus so far. Yeah, <laughs> so far. Okay, so in the, in the fall of 1957, she did actually give birth to a real baby named Donna, a girl. So Kid was reportedly a lavish spender and she expected lots of fine things in her life she likes the trinkets yeah on james's salary they could only really afford like a small rented home next to his parents residence and then moved to a ranch style house james worked a night shift at bendix and his wife 
initially filled her days with spending and then moved on to affairs. Oh, oh boy. So, by the time the couple had their second child, called Troy, Kin was carrying on a regular affair with a friend from high school called John Balditz. And he's quite important to the story, so let's remember him. So the beginning of 1960, James is contemplating divorce, partly because of the spending, but partly because he suspected infidelity, and he would be right to suspect that. He spoke to his parents about the possibility of divorce, and basically told them that Kin had agreed to give him one if she could keep the house and the do- and their daughter and give her a thousand dollars. Which isn't a small amount. Yeah, those in, days, that's pretty. Yeah, 1960. Visible. So, James's parents, who, as you may remember from the churchy bit, are Mormons, urged him to stay in the marriage because um, they don't believe in divorce. It's looked down on. Kin, too, was kind of thinking about a way out of the marriage. And according to Baldis, once offered him $1,000 to kill her husband or find someone who could, though he did say that. She may have been joking. Mm. What did you do? Mm. Let's move on to Le Cream. <laughs> Wait, so she was going to get her husband to pay for his own death? Yeah, I guess she was. She, she, was she demanded a thousand pounds and she was going to offer a thousand pounds for his death. That is cheeky. That is cheeky. Maybe everything at that time was just a thousand pounds for that <laughs> yeah. rate. I mean, I guess it's just a like, go to number, isn't it? Thousand? Say a thousand. About a thousand? Sound right? <laughs> so according to Kin, and I'm say I'm gonna say that a lot during this time because some of these people aren't around to tell their tale. On the nineteenth of March nineteen sixty, around five thirty PM, she had a gunshot from the direction of her bedroom in which James was sleeping. She entered the room and she found her two and a half year old Dana on the bed next to her father. Dana, who is two and a half years old, was holding one of James's guns. Oh, no. A twenty-two target pistol, and James was bleeding from an apparent gunshot wound in the back of his head. So she blamed her own child. <laughs> her two and a half year old, who can apparently yes. fire a gun. So Ken called the police. Piece of shit. <laughs> she did actually call the police straight away. But James, by the time he got to the hospital, he was he died in the ambulance. He got shot in the back of the head, I would have thought so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people do survive gunshot wounds to the head. Very few people. But it's, like, people. incredibly rare. <laughs> but I've heard some really good stories of people who have, like, somehow managed to... Survive an execution. Yeah. Just, I mean, And I'm like, wow. Impressive. Must have been, like, millimetres yeah. away from... Anyway, that's, that's <laughs> a different story for a different time. So, police were basically unable to recover any fingerprints from the apparently well-oiled pistol. Oh, so the baby the baby was wearing gloves, was he? Or she? <laughs> Little kids? <laughs> yeah, Little tiny was, baby uh, gloves? Tarped up. <laughs> and there wasn't gunshot residue on either... Well, they didn't perform like a gunshot residue test on either the Dana or Kin. That was clever. Hmm. Multiple people, including family members and neighbours, actually told the police that James had often allowed Dana to play with his guns. What? And in a test by officers, Dana proved able to pull the trigger on a gun matching the one that killed him. What? 
even though she was only two and a half years old. Surely she had to like do that with two hands, like this. No, I, I guess probably yeah, unless it was like a really really easy gun to fire. Tiny, tiny little. Tiny little baby Swiss gun. Twenty-two is quite small, but still. Maybe they have guns for two and a half year olds now. <laughs> I really don't know, Dan. I mean, <laughs> let's just really go. This is not this. true. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, with no evidence to the contrary, investigators ruled the case accidental homicide. Sorry? Yeah. I mean... Uh-huh. So, the pistol that killed James was taken into police custody and never returned to Kin, even though she tried to get it back. What the... And basically asked a male friend to secretly buy her a new twenty-two caliber automatic pistol. And when he registered it in her name, she asked him to re-register it in a different name, like his what? name. Why does she want another gun? I mean, oh, Americans wait, I like guns. They do like a gun. Especially back in the this day. This is basically okay. like that Simpsons episode, isn't it, where Maggie shoots Mr. Burns? Spoilers! Oh, yeah, sorry, guys. If you haven't seen that, <laughs> that, that, seen that 20, like, 30-year-old episode. <laughs> okay, so with the investigation of the death close... James was buried, and his wife collected on their life insurance policy, valued at around $29,000, which in today's money is over $200,000. All right. Okay, so that moving on with like her life. should be a proper big time spender. <laughs> big time spender. So I'm going to introduce a new character here, and her name is Patricia Jones. Okay. So Patricia Jones was born Trish- Patricia Clements, uh, one of six children. She graduated high school and then married Walter T. Jones, who was her high school sweetheart. I like a middle name letter. Her husband was in the Marine Corps and they relocated to the West Coast where he served. Then he got discharged and he returned to Missouri Independence Mm. with their two children. So by 1960, their marriage wasn't going great even though they both had good jobs Walter reportedly had wandering eyes and on the 18th of April Walter met Sharon Kin when she bought a Ford Thunderbird from his dealership using some of the insurance payout from her husband's death oh man so he's a dodgy used car salesman yeah so they became an affair (laughs) shortly afterwards (laughs) Uh, Kim viewed Walter as a kind of a prospect for a second husband, but he actually didn't want to leave Patricia despite their rocky relationship. Kim told Walter that she was pregnant and he was the father. Oh boy, here we go She's again. Classic. <laughs> I mean, like what? Like what? Like one out of ten? How how real would you say this baby is? Uh, oh, I know the story. So, <laughs> but when I read it, I was like zero. <laughs> Instead of leaving his wife and marrying Kin, Walter responded by dumping Kin and going back to his wife. He ended the affair. He was like, oh, "It's gone too far." So he <laughs> really likes the drama, but not child. that much drama. That's yeah. too much drama. So, according to her later testimony, on the afternoon of the twenty sixth of May. Remember, this is like 1960, so her husband hasn't actually been dead very long. Oh, man. Like, this is the same year. Oh, man. She actually contacted Patricia and told her that Walter was having an affair, not with her, 
with her sister for some uh. bizarre reason. And then Kin met with Patricia that evening to discuss the matter further before dropping her off at the Jane's house. However, Patricia never made it home that evening, according to her husband. Walter filed a missing persons report with the police and began like calling people that she knew the kind of normal stuff you would do if your loved one was missing. So he finally got a lead when one of Patricia's work friends told her that she had dropped her on the street, a street corner in Independence and she saw Patricia getting into another car but didn't okay. recognise the women in the car. But she did give him a description and Walter was like, well, that's Sharon. Clearly Kim. Sharon, yeah. Yeah. So dodgy chick with a fake pregnancy, yeah. That's, that's her. When Walter asked Kin if she has he has she had spoken to his wife, she was like, Yeah, I did. I told her about the affair, but I dropped her off near your house and I saw her speaking to an unknown man in a green nineteen fifty seven Ford. The unknown man. Of course, the unknown Ford. Of course. It's like uh, think of a car, uh, Ford. <laughs> so, based on Kin's admission, Walter met with her that Friday evening and insisted she give him more details about where his wife was and apparently held some sort of, like, key to her throat and, like, threatened her. Oh. He admitted this. I mean, that's not, like, the scariest weapon. No, but I would also, like... I would be really angry if somebody like abducted my Oh yeah, absolutely. I was about to say wife, but I don't have a wife, you know what I mean? Like yeah. my loved one. So fair. Okay. So Kin's response was to ask uh do you remember Boldis, the other guy? Oh yeah, yeah. She was yeah, having yeah. a fair with to help her search for Patricia. So she was like, mm. Let's go and search for her to prove that nothing dodgy is a mess. Search. Wink wink. Come in search with me <laughs> for this unknown location that I have no idea about. <laughs> so shortly before midnight, within hours of Ken's conversation with Walter, she stumbles upon the body of a woman. Her and her boy uh, one of her other boyfriends, um Bolditz. And obviously the body is indeed Patricia's. It's about a mile outside of Independence, so not very far. Uh, she had been shot four times by a twenty-two caliber pistol. Uh, okay, then. So although the fatal wound was shot in her head, she actually had multiple bullet wounds in her abdomen, etc. Oh, no. So there was, you know, was probably pretty dramatic. Oh, nasty. Yeah. She had powder burns on the hemline of her skirt, which indicated that at least one of the shots would have been at close range. Yeah, like a bit point blank going on there. Yeah. Nasty. Initial reports placed Patricia's time of death approximately 9pm on 27th May. She is buried four days later. So, investigators immediately question Kin, Walter and Baldus. All three were questioned the day after she died. Walter and Bolditz both gave written statements that say that they had dated Kin, both agreed to take lie detector tests. However, Kin gave an oral statement, not a written one, and declined to take a lie detector test. Lie detector tests are rubbish. Mm. 
They are yeah. total rubbish. But back in the 60s, it was pretty normal practice. Yeah. So declining to take one looks suspicious. Even if you know it's rubbish, mm. it looks suspicious. So, you know. They still use them now, don't they, in America? It's still like a bit of light detector. I don't know how much... Like, I'm not an expert on what they do now. But I, they do... Sometimes they'll use them when they know somebody's guilty to kind of... Yeah, yeah kind of get something out of them or to kind of yeah make them fear yeah. as well so yeah sometimes they are used but not that they're not they can't be used as evidence yeah. in the courtroom so she was questioned again on the 30th may and boldest on the 31st of may the schedules for the polygraphs were to be taken on the 1st of june and both men were deemed to have been truthful in those t- tests kin's brother eugene was also questioned but declined to answer any question. While they were taking, like, questioning potential suspects, they also looked at the crime scene. They tried to find the murder weapon and the bullet that passed through her body, but they couldn't find anything around the actual scene, which I think was like a wooded scene. A twenty-two caliber rifle slug was eventually found buried in the ground where Patricia's body had been found, pro- providing evidence that at least some of her wounds had been sustained at the place that her body was found though they actually assumed that her body had been moved okay yeah, so, so it might have like... been like she was shot then moved and then shot again kind of thing okay well she just like shot the body just out of like spite or something no idea like i don't think they know like the actual Weird. circumstances but that's what they assumed she was shot somewhere yeah. moved and then shot again or she might not have been, they might have been like, okay, she's not dead, so yeah. that's she again. They tried to drag the bottom of a nearby body's water to find the pistol, but it couldn't be found. So, on the 31st of May at 11pm, which is incidentally the same day as Patricia's funeral, um, Kin was arrested at her home. And the same day, the prosecutors decide to consider a second charge that for the death of James Kin, so her former husband. Because even though they ruled it an accidental homicide, they can actually change it. It's not double jeopardy to change that. It's only yeah. double jeopardy if somebody has been charged, which they weren't. So they so, finally realised that Katayini Chutu or trial didn't <laughs> shoot the man in the head. Well done, please! So uh, Kin's lawyers filed a writ of habeas corpus with the court the next morning. And a hearing that afternoon resulted her release for $20,000 bond while she awaited a preliminary hearing. Police would be able to work out that the gun that had killed James was not the same gun as Patricia's death Mm. because they had it in their possession. They never gave it back to her. However, the man who worked with Kin admitted to having secretly purchased one for her. So they knew that she did have one. Um, however, when they searched her house, they were unable to locate the gun. I mean, obviously, she she's going to get rid of it. In that shit. Yeah. Um, she first told the investigator she'd lost the gun on a trip to Washington, and then just said it mysteriously disappeared. So... Just lost my gun. Who knows? Know, just misplaced um, it. Walter, Patricia's husband, was also taken into custody, but only as like a material witness, and he was actually freed the same day. So he didn't have any charges. Initial autopsy um, was criticised by the prosecutors because they felt the recovery of bullets and the testing of the stomach contents hadn't been done 
properly. And so they had to exhume Patricia's body, which I just oh, think is the worst, is isn't it? Yeah. On the 17th of June, to collect the bullets that had been left behind in the original autopsy. Kin's arraignment on the 11th of July resulted in a denial of bail, but the Court of Appeals struck down that ruling based on the prosecution's reliance on circumstantial evidence, and she was freed on a bond of $24,000, which is worth nearly £200,000. Whoa, that is quite a bond. Today. After a delay in the trial, because she was actually pregnant and she was she gave birth to a child oh, not maria a christine not oh. a lie well on done, 16th Sharon. january 1961 though that's not to say that she was war's kid oh yeah good point she had Could other be... boyfriends Her i think she, she was buddy. still claiming it was walters she sorry she there was Okay, so let's talk about the trials because we have the trial for patricia and the trial for her husband. So, although charged with both murders, she was separately tried for the two crimes because they weren't connected in any way. So you can't just like be like tag one on. <laughs> You're like, while well, we're here, let's talk about this other one. No. So, her trial for Patricia began mid June 1961, with jury selection beginning on the 13th of June. And commencing days later with an all-male jury. So it's actually quite unusual at this time to have women on the jury. Oh, okay. Yeah. So opening... I mean, think 12 Angry Men style. Oh, yeah. So recent, isn't it? I mean, like, it's quite bad. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, I've been on... I've had a dungeon service that was really fun. An all-male affair so recently. (laughs) Like... Just like, I was trying to think of an example of a boy band, but I can't. <laughs> a 12 person boy band. So, the, the arguments from both prosecution and defense set up their case based on the purported times of death, which they based on, uh, you know, how they can do it with like the time that they ate in the summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, based on that. They could do that all the way back then. That's cool. So, that's the, amazing. The um, prosecution claimed she had died more than 24 hours before uh, the body was found, but defence said it was more likely eight hours prior. I really don't know what they were trying Mm. to achieve with that. Yeah. Like, are they trying to say it was only eight hours prior? That means that Keen was at home with her kids or something? I don't know. Yeah, maybe you had like an alibi for that time. Yeah, exactly. So Mm. the prosecution was unable to firmly establish that Keen had owned or once had the weapon that killed Patricia because they didn't have the weapon. So in that well. The only thing that they knew was that Kin had once owned a pistol that was twenty two caliber. Hmm. So that's um... That's sort of evidence enough, surely. She had the gun. <laughs> but like Guy who sold the pistol to Kin um said that the bullets were in the tree that he had They were his bullets, the ones he sold. From his shop. He said, yeah, that, yes. But they were not identified as coming from the weapon that killed Patricia. What? So so they're just saying that someone randomly took a gun with bullets from this guy's shot and just fired at a tree? I mean, 
say that guy's shop is the nearest to like that woods. Mm, fair enough. Like he could say, you know, do you know what I mean? Like it. Mm, mm, maybe it's like a, it's like a normal pastime. Yeah. I, th- I think it might be. Like that's <laughs> just that's the only thing I can like take from. Either that this. or it was one guy one yeah, day. Just, <laughs> he had too much goddamn reiki. <laughs> it was that guy that gave you the reiki. Okay, so the prosecution rested on the 21st of June, having called 27 witnesses. The defense. That's a lot of rest- witnesses. That is yeah. quite a list. The defense took less than two days and involved 14 witnesses. Uh, Keane did not testify, which sure. in America you're not, you don't have to. They focused on the breaking down of the state's claims over motive and means, arguing she had no reason to kill Patricia and that the pistol she was alleged to have owned had not been proven as the murder weapon, which obviously is true, but that's because she clearly got yeah. rid of it. After slightly over one hour and a half deliberation, the jury, citing just too many loopholes left in the prosecution's case, acquitted What Kim. the... Not even kidding. And listen to this. Immediately after the verdict, a juror named Ogden Stevens asked him for her autograph, which she was photographed giving to him. What the... I mean, what? Yeah, I know. So Um... Kin was actually returned to jail the same day to await trial for the murder of her husband. So this is why it's kind of a spooky one, because it's like, what is going on? What can they get? Surely you're going to get her on this. Okay, Are we just so, like, people actually going to believe it was the tiny child having to fire it from the crux of the elbow? <laughs> <laughs> so the jury selection began on the 8th of January 1962. Uh, the prosecution's case rested largely on the contention that, you know, Kin had asked um, Boldis, like, maybe he could get, like, someone to kill him for a thousand dollars. That kind of thing. Uh, Boldis was nominally a witness for the prosecution, but his uh, testimony, like he was saying, it could have been a joke and stuff. So he still wanted to get some. Of, didn't he? he wasn't a very good witness, basically. He still wanted to get some. Um, they talked about how the marriage had been on the verge of dissolution. And that she had been an adulterer and that she would have been able to collect the life insurance money. That whole shebang. The defence focused on the circumstantial quality of the evidence. Um, Basically, they presented the testimony. You know how I said people had said that they've seen the two-year-old playing with the guns. And that she was able to pull the triggers on toy guns with the stiffer trigger pulls than the weapon that caused his death. I don't know about this. So, the trial ended in a conviction on the 11th of January after five and a half hours of deliberation. In April of that same year, she was formally sentenced to life in prison. Okay. And she began to serve her sentence in Missouri Reformatory for Women. Later interviews revealed that the jury had actually done three or four ballots before taking the verdict was reached, which is mm. interesting. And despite this, James's family was still on her side. She said they they what? thought that she didn't had anything to do with it. She, Kin herself, 
told the reporters that the verdict was a mistake and that she regretted her previous um, enthusiasm for having a woman on the jury because apparently there was a woman on the jury and that was that was to her detriment yeah Hmm. wait so so listen to this okay so the next week i'm not even joking that her lawyers requested she be released on bond after a community the community signed a petition for her innocence but obviously it was denied because they were like first degree murder is not like a bailable offense she's literally a murderer and then they requested that the conviction be vacated because the jury had based its verdict on surmise and speculation rather than substantial evidence listing a series of procedural errors that Keane's counsel allegedly taken place before and during the trial. So I guess what we'd call like inefficient assistance of counsel okay. now. And how the jurors were taking like incomplete notes and all this rubbish. And also um Baldus's testimony. The motion was denied, but appealed to the Supreme Court and her conviction was reversed what in March of 1963 mother. and she was released on bail. So she still has to go back to trial, but that one was this thrown out. Ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. So the second trial of oh the death God. of James Kidd. So Sharon Kidd's second trial began in March of 1964. So the jury selection took such a long time like literally 14 hours for jury selection. See, we don't do that here. No. Like in America, they have this whole process where you have to feel like, like a questioner here. And then there's like alternates. Sometimes there are alternates in the UK system, but not often. Usually it's just thrown out and started yeah, yeah. again. But there it's just madness. So anyway, they requested overnight because it was literally midnight by the time the jury were chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, but days later, it was declared a mistrial because basically one of the jurors had once used one of the law partners, um, for like the prosecutor. So okay, that was just thrown out as a mistrial. So on to the third trial for the death of James Kidd. So at this point, she's just like, I'm gonna go with this. Jeez. So Kidd's third trial originally scheduled to be in June uh no sorry Kin's trial began in June 1964 um he actually the assistant prosecutor death qualified the jury so basically this is where he um challenges any juror who automatically opposes the death penalty okay which is like again something they do because we don't have this penalty here, but in America yeah. they do. So if they're looking for the death penalty, even though they said they hadn't been, they will dismiss jurors that anyway. Just don't, but generally yeah. believe in it. Yeah. So like me, for example, I yeah, yeah, don't yeah. believe in it. I, yeah, um, I'm not down with so that. Yeah, that took more than twelve hours. Again. Baldus's testimony in the trial remained contradictory as, the, as to whether he believed that Kin was uh, like, telling the truth or, or having a joke. Prosecution, yeah. guys, just give up on this guy. He's clearly not. 
He's clearly not on your side. Just drop him. Just drop him. Okay, so a new witness, a female acquaintance of Kin, testified that she had once joked to the woman to get rid of her old man like Kin did. But the defence cross-examination highlighted inconsistencies between this testimony and a similar quote the woman had offered at previous depositions. So she didn't look very good either. For the first time at any of her trials, Kin took the stand on the last day of the trial to issue a categorical denial of all charges. The all-male jury deadlocked 7-5 to five in favour of acquittal, resulting oh, in a second mistrial. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Okay, so a fourth trial was scheduled for October 64. However, in September, Kin, still free on her bond, travelled to Mexico with her another lover, or alleged lover, Francis Samuel Puglis, leaving her children with James's father, so the grandfather, and travelling as uh, Puglis's wife under the name Jeanette. So, the couple later said they had gone to Mexico to get married. Under the legal terms of her bail, Kin was permitted to leave the country, but under her, under her contract with the, like, bond bailsman, you know how, like, you have a company that will pay your bond? Yeah. That prohibited her from leaving Missouri without permission. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, after crossing the border, the couple registered at a hotel, again as husband and wife, Kin said that she felt unsafe in the foreign country and bought a pistol, which meant that the couple now possessed multiple guns, having brought one or two of them from the US. So she didn't feel safe with the guns she already had? No, she didn't feel safe enough. She really needed an an extra gun. You know how you need like three to feel safe? (laughs) You need like, like one for each hand and like one for the foot. One for the two and a half year old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) So, on the night of the 18th of September 1964, Kin left the hotel without Puglis, either to acquire money because the the couple was running low, or to go and get some medicine she required. There's some, like, discrepancy there. By medicine, did she mean gun? She encountered a man named Francisco Parades Ordonez. Which is like a cool name. That's a very cool name. A Mexican-born American citizen at a bar, and accompanied him back to his room in the Hotel Lavada. So, I, I can only like gather that she was pretty fit. <laughs> That's the only reason <laughs> this like yeah. all happened. Okay, so according to Kin, she went back to Odones to see some photographs he offered to show her. But he soon began to make sexual advantages and she was forced to fire her gun in an attempt to protect herself. Okay, then. Sure thing. So Kin maintained later that she had no intention of harming or killing Ordonez and had intended only to frighten him, but her bullet struck him in the chest and killed him. Responding to the sound of gunfire, a hotel employee named Enrique Martinez Ruida entered the room. She fired at Ruida but only hit her shoulder. What he the fled, hell? He fled the room, locking her inside, and called the police. What a guy. He was like, I am out of here, locked her in the room so she couldn't run, and called the police. That is high-level, like, quick thinking. So she tried to kill a witness here. Like, if she gets off again, 
I'm gonna just I'm gonna flip this tiny little table. I'm <laughs> recording Dad's this. gonna <laughs> gonna kill the mic <laughs> and he's gonna run away. Okay, so police rejected this is Mexican police rejected Kin's story. Theorized she had gone out that evening intending to rob someone and chose oh, him as her oh, victim. Oh yeah, she's in Mexico. Oh yeah. man, she screwed up. She's in trouble. <laughs> okay, so he when he resisted um, her orders to give him money. The police believe that Kin had shot him, which is some good police work. (laughs) (laughs) So police uh, charged Kin on charges of homicide and assault with a deadly weapon. Kin maintained that she had not intended to harm him and that she had fired her weapon at Rueda, the hotel guy, because... She feared that he too was coming to attack her. Okay, then just like... What? No, he had a gunshot. There's a dead body here, but I'm going to come and... (laughs) So the police search her purse, finding a gun and 50 cartridges. Oh, what? That's a big handbag. And then the couple's room at the hotel where they were staying and found two more guns and more cartridges. Authorities took Puglis into custody too, I think, in in terms of like... um, like having a deadly weapon and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for something. Probably should be probably should be taking guns but... into Mexico from America. It's probably. I mean, this fra- is in the sixties. Yeah. True. So now it's it's not okay. <laughs> I mean, it probably wasn't okay then. Um. So he was held at um. One place where she was transferred to a women's prison. Um. I'm not going to try and pronounce it because it's in Spanish. <laughs> for her trial. The couple were arraigned on the 26th of September and held for trial. So her lawyer, Mexican lawyer, tried to to, to submit a habeas corpus asserting that Mexico was violating her constitutional rights by holding her for a shooting she committed in self-defense. But it was denied. Oh and they were both tried on in six, 1965. So Puglis was cleared of the charges against him, but he was deported to the US. But Kin was convicted, convicted, finally on the 18th of October for the homicide of Ordonez. Despite rumours she would receive probation and be deported, she was instead sentenced to 10 years. She appealed. She appealed, and instead of overturning it, they lengthened it. Saying nice. that it had been <laughs> it had been too short, and she got thirteen years. Kin was returned to the prison the sen- uh, women's prison to serve her sentence. She was nicknamed La Pestolera, which is the gunfighter, and a nickname adopted by the Mexican press. So you think all is well, right? She's in prison. She's got the trial coming up for her husband as well in, in the US. Oh, yeah. She still hasn't been... So she still hasn't, yeah. like, done that. All must be okay, right? Mm-hmm. So, on the 7th of oh, December, wow. 1969, Kin was not present for a routine 5pm roll call at the prison where she was serving her sentence. Her absence was not officially noted until she failed to turn up for the second roll call later that evening. And the news of her escape was not reported to Mexico City Police until 2 o'clock the following morning. The manhunt was arranged, initially focusing on the northern Mexican states, due to authorities' belief that she may have been heading for the last known whereabouts of a former inmate she'd grown close to. 
The search also encompassed a country-wide transport hubs and eventually circled back to the Mexico City area. The US authorities, including their FBI, were also alerted, but because of, like, weird jurisdiction issues, it was unlikely they would have, like, taken up the case. Okay. Sure. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, police speculation was that Kin had bribed guards to look the other way while she escaped, and there was an unusual blackout reported that evening at the approximate time of her escape, so that seems likely to me. Um, Also, an investigation showed that a door that should have been locked was left unsecured. Hmm. Suspicious. Basically, the security was just lax in general. That's it, because I I would have thought that, like, uh, Mexican prison would be, like, hardcore. But I guess maybe in the 60s, Hmm, not so much. Or maybe, yeah, just, like, she bribed enough people to be able to get out. And maybe also a women's prison, maybe not so Hmm. much. Hmm. True. So there are all sorts of like press was going off about different conspiracy theories like she had a boyfriend who was a policeman or her mother had been involved in the escape plan or if Dinez's family had helped her escape and then killed her. Oh. Which is like my favorite version of these yeah. events. I'm d- so the intensity of manhole hunt was short-lived. By the 18th of December, the Mexican Secret Service and Mexico City District Attorney's Office were both reporting that they were no longer involved in the um, searching for the escaped prisoner. Just washed their hands of like, the entire affair. Investigators speculated she might have crossed the border from Mexico into Guatemala, saying basically, like, because she speaks Spanish, then she yeah. would, you know go somewhere else that speaks Spanish as opposed to going back up to the US which would have been bad for her um so more than 50 years after her escape Sharon Kin remains at large her whereabouts and ultimate fate unknown Mm. When Kin failed to appear for her mur- for the trial for the murder of her husband, a warrant was issued for her on October in October 1964. It is still outstanding, 57 years <laughs> later, making it the oldest outstanding murder warrant known wow. in, in the Kansas How old City she area. Be now? She would be bare old. <laughs> yeah, man. She would be old. Like she would be like at least 90, I think. Wow. I wonder how many like. Or, like, at least in mid-80s. Yeah. Kind status in Mexico system also reigns outstanding. But because jailbreak was not a crime under Mexican law at the time, if she were recaptured, she would only have to serve out the remaining of her outstanding sentence. They were just... That's fine. Escaping. (laughs) And that's the story of Sharon Kin. And I discovered that because the best, in my opinion, the best Wikipedia page... In the whole, on the whole of Wikipedia, yeah. is the Wikipedia list of missing fugitives. <laughs> it's an excellent list. I'm gonna check that out. I spent so such now. a long time reading, it, literally eight hours reading it the other day, and this one really like captured my attention because she gets away with like she gets away a so thing much. after thing after thing. I mean, I'm looking at her. She's all right. She's got shit hair. <laughs> I mean, but... it, it was the 60s, so... <laughs> That's true. But I think she must have been, like, really charismatic. charismatic. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. 
you know. She doesn't like uh, dress guys. I see a bit as a sissy's guy. She looks like my stepman. <laughs> Your stepdad? Stepnan. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't no. think you had a stepdad. <laughs> um, so, that's well, a crazy story. that was a wild ride. Yeah, it was a wild ride. And if you are listening to this, Sharon Kin, <laughs> welcome to Have You Ever <laughs> Hope you stick around um, for more spooky stories coming up. I mean, it wasn't really spooky. It was like... No. It's... Yeah, I like the, the fact that it was like we don't know where she is. It's kind yeah. of spooky. That's the ending was spooky. And like she did just try and like rob a guy in like a hotel room. Like how many times do you reckon she pulled that? If she did escape down south, do you reckon she was like, did you watch the serpent? No, but yeah, I know. I bet she, maybe yeah. she did that. She was just going around like robbing, shooting. I mean, yeah. Do we hackers. really think this was the only one? Yeah, she blatantly went on a killing spree after this. So my favorite like theory is that yeah, this guy's family helped her escape and then murdered her. But I don't think that's true. I think she probably escaped and yeah, then crossed the border as, yeah. as soon as she could, basically. And then she would need money straight away. So definitely would have shot someone. She'd already done it. She would have just done it again. Yeah, she probably would have had another affair or something. Yeah. <laughs> had a little affair, shot someone, stole their money. She went on a massive killing spree down in uh, South America. The ones that I think Jeez. are, like, the weirdest ones, or the most out there ones, are the people who, like, start a whole new life. You know, like, the fugitives who, like, escape, yeah. and then they start, like, a whole new life, and they have, like, a family It's, and like, stuff. a normal life. Yeah, it's ma- maybe she did that. Yeah, maybe she's, maybe. like, a grandma. Maybe. Well, she is a grandma because she had three kids. But, like, with new kids. Yeah, new kids. New. Or maybe her kids, like, she sought them out. I don't know. Who knows? But if she sought them out, then surely that would have come out. Really? I would have thought so. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, so. I don't know. Depends how, you know. I mean, like, yeah, it would be hard for it just to be, like, a secret grandma. Secret like, grandma? America, hashtag like secret, secret grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was so funny. So this week and next week are the London Film Festival. Ooh, so I saw times. Spencer yesterday. Yeah. Kirsten Stewart as Diana, and she was oh, amazing. Yeah. I've heard oh, good things. My God, amazing! I quite, and nice. she was there as well, and she's so pretty. Was she? Yeah, oh, of course. No, it's film festival. She is quite a fee. She was amazing and. The way that she like spoke and her mannerisms was Diana. You know that kind of breathy voice that she yeah, had. Yeah. Oh my God, it was like spot on. It was really, really good. And then tomorrow is last night in Soho. Saturday is... Uh, no, Sunday is French Dispatch. So he wears Anderson. Oh, I'm so excited for nice. all these films. Yeah, it's... I, I'm being uh, less sophisticated and just going to see Bond on Sunday. I've seen it. I, we saw the opening, opening night, yeah. Um, have you heard anything? No, nothing about like what happens or anything. Okay, I, I'm not going to spoil it. Tell me when you've seen it. <laughs> okay, I'm excited. I really liked it though. I really enjoyed it. You know, it's two hours, 45 minutes. Good times. <laughs> Nearly three I mean, hours. I'm fine with that. Just That's longer two, than 2001 two Space Odyssey. <laughs> two hours and 45 minutes of explosions. I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of explosions and a lot of um, Daniel Cray topless, which is, I guess, less your thing, but it really kept me going. <laughs> for the... I, I appreciate a physique. 
Sure. <laughs> like, it's like half dad, but half also still bond. Do you know what I mean? You're like, okay, I see. Like, yeah, definitely a dad bond, but like, I'm okay with it. Uh, so those of you that haven't seen Bond yet, you have to watch Spectre before you see it because there is a running storyline. Yeah. So go out there and watch Spectre before you go and see it. That's a great film as well. Uh, any recommendations on your side? Go to Crete. <laughs> Get out of the country and don't come back. It's a mess is... here. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did think about trying to claim asylum in Crete, but I didn't do it. <laughs> I regret it. I regret it now. Should have done it. <laughs> yeah, we're getting out of the country for four days at the end of the month going to Berlin. Nice. Nice. So, I'm going to try and speak German and they, they'll just speak English back to me. Yeah. I know they will. <laughs> speak very good like English. Yeah. The only place I've ever been able to use German is Austria. They actually mm. speak to you, back to you in German, but that's bad. Okay, well, if you have nothing else to do with the time, you can go check out our Twitter. Which is at yeah. Have You Ever Pod? I'll try and put something on that. <laughs> yeah, Dan's running it now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually start using Instagram because that seems like a nicer place. Is and it though? It's really not. <laughs> people try actually respond there and like actually that's still yeah. a place we can get likes and stuff. Like I think we get like if we're lucky to get one like on a on a post on Twitter. I think obviously some of you know I don't use social media anymore. And my life has not been affected by it whatsoever, pretty much. Um, apart from I'm getting angrier at it. <laughs> Especially with the yeah. whistleblower stuff that happened this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's madness. So, yeah. Um, and you can also subscribe for more spooky stories this month. You can do that wherever you're listening to this, right here, right now. Oh, yeah. Did we say about... Have we said reviews yet? No, we haven't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, you can give us like a little five-star review. That'd be brilliant. Yeah. I mean, or whatever you think we deserve. In fact, if you think we deserve less than five stars, then let Just us know us why. Just give us five stars instead. Yeah. <laughs> give us five stars and let us know why. <laughs> you don't think we deserve the we five stars. We don't think stars we deserve the five us. stars you just gave us. <laughs> um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.